She also talks about how the artificial environment of a kindergarten or of a school room hinders a child's education. You take him out of his natural environment and out of nature, and then you prescribe to him certain subjects, and yet he could be getting all that he needed out in the field and in the home rather than sitting in a classroom. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Hey everyone, for the next two shows, we will be joined by Rachel Leibowitz from the Charlotte Mason Plenary. We wanted to invite Rachel on with us specifically for these shows because she's been doing some great work over at the plenary with preschool and kindergarten curricula, which she'll tell you about later. And for the next two episodes, we'll be talking about Charlotte Mason's ideas about kindergarten. It was awesome to hear what's going on over at the plenary, and it was great to discuss the education of the little children with her. So without further ado, here we go. Well, the question, the, the first question that we've typically been asking, we've had three people on now, we so have. we can say we've typically been asking now. <laughs> the, the first question has been, so how, how did you find out about Charlotte Mason and the Charlotte Mason method? And I guess the follow up to that would be, how have you implemented that in, in your, in your own homeschool? Okay. Well, <laughs> So when my kids were little, my son was only about four years old, we, I knew that I always wanted to homeschool, and I was in the process of convincing my husband. Anyway, so doing some research, came across Charlotte Mason, and I immediately fell in love with her. I think it's probably the first principle. Um, children mm-hmm. are born persons. It just really struck a chord with me, and I immediately ordered you know, her six volumes and started reading and fell in love with it. And so we have used the Charlotte Mason method ever since, ever since the beginning. Um, And over the years, you know, as you learn more, you implement more. And so we've really grown in our understanding of the method and the philosophy. And it's just brought such a joy and peace to our to our homeschool and to our home. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's, it's the best educational method out there. And it really is, it really is a wonderful method for everyone, for every person. And yeah. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Did that answer your question? <laughs> I, I have a, a follow up. Yeah. So you said, so you said we have been learning the method as we go. Is that you and the kids where they're a part of learning the method and learning what they're learning? Or is that like you and your husband implementing it into your house? I think it's a little bit of both, actually, because kids need to know why they're doing the things that they're doing also. I remember one time, you know, I asked my daughter to read her history lesson or whatever it was to me. And then, and then I asked her to narrate 
And she said, well, but I just read it. You heard everything I read. Why do I have to narrate? (laughs) And so I had to explain the reason why we narrate. And then she understood. She went, oh, okay. And then she gave me a narration. So it it helps kids to understand why we ask them to do some of the things that we do, um, especially when it's when it's a, a different method than they're used to, or, you know, you bring older children to the method or things like that, it's helpful to let them in on the why. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, and that's something we've talked about for a while is that without knowing the why it's hard to know, it's hard to fully be on board with what you're doing. The why is so important. <laughs> it is. It's so important. And that's why the principles are so important. You know, you have the principles and you have the practices, but if you only have the practices, then it it falls flat. You have to have the principles first and the understanding. And then when you apply the practices, it all makes sense. And it it it's almost like what is that quote? The 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 whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. Yeah. So when you put it all together, it it creates this beautiful, magical um, education that if you only used bits and pieces of it would not give you that full effect. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I was just thinking of a puzzle that you have that you don't have the picture for where you have all the pieces. But then when you learn the principles and the why, you, f- you suddenly have the picture and now you know yes. how the pieces go together. Yes. So. Yeah. I love those clue puzzles. <laughs> They're fun. Well, you were thinking that. I was thinking sports. Uh, I coached <laughs> basketball for a while. And and the same thing is true in sports is if you don't have the fundamentals of whatever activity you're doing, then then whatever advanced thing you're trying to do doesn't work. And I would get I would get kids all the time asking, Coach, when are we when are we gonna run plays? When are we gonna scrimmage and just play basketball? And we're like, Well, first you have to know how to dribble. Right, you have you to go know back how to, to pass. basics. Yeah, you have to know how to how to how and where to stand on the court. You can't just go and start playing. You have to know what you're doing first. And also, um, so many moms I find try to do everything all at once. And you know, in your basketball analogy, if you tried to do everything all at once, mm-hmm. from the very beginning, you would feel completely overwhelmed and like a failure. And yeah. so I always tell moms, you know, to to start small and to start with some basic subjects, some of the what I call the joy subjects and some of the essential subjects and have a balance with those and start from a place of confidence and really, really get confident in those subjects and in that schedule that you're doing. And then when you feel confident, then you add a little bit more. So you add maybe one more subject Mm -hmm. or another subject or something that you didn't understand before. And you build from there. Because when you start with everything, and then you suddenly feel overwhelmed, and like you can't do it all. So you start to cut and cut and cut, then you Mm. feel like a failure. And so instead of cutting, I want you to start from a place of confidence and have a good foundation and build on that. That is great advice. Well, let me tag here. Can you please tell us what you do at a Charlotte Mason plenary? So a Charlotte Mason plenary really was started out of my, my love for the method, but also wanting to help moms 
simplify and make it easier. Because I think so, so many times, especially in in the last couple of years, we tend to make it harder on ourselves than it actually is. And we, you know, we, we read blogs and we, we, we listen to, you know, so many experts and everybody says you have to do this or you have to do that and you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way in order you have to do it perfectly. And so you have all these voices telling you what to do and all these expectations when really the only thing you need to do is what is right for your family. And that is individual to every family, to every child. And so the beauty of Charlotte Mason is that it's a method, not a system, and it's extremely adaptable to any yeah. situation you throw at it. And so my goal with the plenary is to show moms how simple it can be, how easy it can be, and how you can customize it your way to make it customizable and adaptable to your family and your child. How's that oh. for a wrap up of my <laughs> <the> plenary? <laughs> when did you when did you start the plenary? Oh, uh, we started in um, what year is it now? We're in twenty. Okay, so seventeen. So okay, almost. I guess not quite three years. Almost three two, years. Two, two years and some odd months. Okay. <laughs> what else do you want to know? I don't know. I, I mean that that pretty well sums it up. I, one of the things you said is something that that has been hitting me as we've been going through home education. And it's something we talked about a little bit when we were going through parents and children, but it's the thought that what, what Charlotte Mason is describing here and what she's talking about is, is the, the ideal, the pinnacle, the, what you're, what you're absolutely striving for. And the thing that I'm noticing is that just like you said, if you were to try and implement every single thing she talks about all at once, it would, it would be impossible. You would not be able to do it all. Right. But in a gradual, slow yeah. incorporation of the practices and the principles, then you, then you can eventually. But I also want parents to know that you don't have to do it all either. It's okay not to do mm-hmm. it all. Right. Um, because even if you're doing a portion of, of, you know, what Charlotte Mason wants for us and for our homes, it's still a fantastic and wonderful and rich and academic and rigorous education. Yeah, we've been we've the the phrase that we've used any number I've used. I don't know if Crystal ever has, but the phrase I've used any number of times is is taking baby steps. Yes. Know, taking taking one thing at a time, taking one habit at a time, taking Absolutely. one one lesson at a time. And over time you 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 move into that and it becomes more natural and it becomes habitual and it becomes your lifestyle. Yeah, it yeah. it becomes your lifestyle. Exactly. Yes. So that's that's comforting to to hear you saying that as well because that is definitely something we've talked about uh, quite a bit over the last couple of months as we've been going through home education specifically. Oh, well, there's so much good stuff in home education. You really get down to the <laughs> nitty gritty of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and today we're going to be talking about kindergarten, and I know you just came out with a a kindergarten a curriculum guide. Right. And so. I'll- so- that's part of why I asked you to do this one specifically with us. So go ahead. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, so over at the plenary, I have um, CM Your Way form guides. And it basically 
there's one for each of the forms. And I just came out with the preschool and kindergarten form guide. And so each one of the guides really is like a small little package summary of everything that you need to know to do the method without knowing very much, right? So, so it really holds your hand and walks you through every single subject in that form, uh, how to do the subjects, books um, that Charlotte used and books, more modern books that I recommend. And then it wa walks you through creating a schedule and customizing everything for your family and your child and your particular situation. Hmm. So the preschool kindergarten form guide just came out and that was really fun to create. Yeah. The little ones, the little, yes, the, <laughs> oh my goodness, the a quiet growing time of, you know, ages zero to six. It's just so precious. And, and even form one, form one is such, such a, Charlotte really wanted to protect childhood. And mm -hmm. I see this yeah. so much and you can see it in her writings. She really wanted to protect childhood and, protect innocence. And so everything in form one and below is so gentle and so, so magical for the child. It's, I just love it. Mm -hmm. She truly did. She loved, she, she did want to keep childhood very, very safe and secure. And she talks about that a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in my research in putting together the preschool and the kindergarten guide, there were some overarching themes. One of the biggest was simple, easy, and relaxed. I kept coming up to that, that everything should be simple, should be easy, and should have a relaxed atmosphere. And then, of course, the quiet growth of self-education. She talks so much about the only education is self-education. And so we have to let children find their way and learn their way through not only preschool and kindergarten, but through all the forms as well. They have to be responsible for their own education. And those that those things that you get firsthand, you remember. Those things that you get secondhand, you forget. Mm -hmm. And so part of the themes of self-education and the quiet growth are masterly inactivity. Of course, the, the wise and purposeful letting alone of those little kiddos, right? And then habits and discipline, which of course bring, you know, play such an important role, especially in the lives of young children in getting those habits and discipline. Kind of putting them in place first. Yes. Getting those things set in place so that yeah. over the years you have more independence as children grow. Well, cause that's, that's one of the things she talks about. That's one of the goals as that's one of the goals of parenting is to work yourselves out of a job, out of a job. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the value of play and so much in the value of play, direct hands-on investigation. She talks about masterly inactivity again. She talks about authority and freedom, both for children and for the parents and confidence in self and in our children. So we have to have confidence in ourselves to let the children be alone. And we have to have confidence in them that they're going to be okay. I have found that that's easier now with more kids than it was with say just Ian. So when he was two, it's like, no, you, you have to go, you have to go. And he would always come back to me. But now that the twins are two, they'll just go. And especially since they're, they're together, sometimes they'll go together and just 
play happily. And I don't even know what they're doing, but they're in the toy room playing happily together. And and just letting them letting them alone and letting them be without having to direct what they're doing. Well, the other night my, my brother was over for dinner and Isaac and Lily finished, and so they were excused from the table and and they were playing in the toy room and then and then they came out and they were together carrying we have we have a kind of long long skinny car mat. Uh, it's got, you know, roads and stuff on it. And so they were together carrying the mat out and then they ran back to the toy room and then they came out with a bucket full of matchbox cars <laughs> and they put it down and, and they were talking about how to roll it out and where to put it and who was going to have which cars. And my brother was just falling out of his chair dying because they were, they were talking the whole time and they were laughing and they were doing all these things. And he's like, they're, they're just, they're just over there doing things. It's like, yeah, that's that's how life works here. <laughs> that's what they do. Yep, it is. <laughs> um, oh, and so she also talks about hey, you have to have time for leisure, right? In order for self-education, you have to have time for leisure. Children have to have the time to be bored and to get into things and think about things and explore things. Um, and so in our busy society, mm. when you know we have so much of our schedules just jam-packed, we don't have time for that anymore. And so she's talking about how important it is to reserve that time for leisure. And then, of course, out of doors life. Out of doors life, that a good portion of a child's day should be spent outside in the fresh air. She says also, you know, don't send them, go with them. Mm-hmm. Take and them. even, yes, take them. And even if it's just sitting in a chair while they're playing, you're there for their questions and to direct their noticings, to direct their observations a little bit better. And then the value of stories, reading good literature to children. And then, of course, um, the parent's role, the big parent's role is the principles, principles to live by. So that's why she talks about her principles so often and why the principles are so important, because that's the why behind the how. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Well, and something I've sa- I know I've said before uh, on our show is that when we first started reading through and talking about parents and children, I I tried reading through her principles. I because well that's where it starts and she's got them listed out and so I tried to read through them. It didn't make sense to me for for whatever reason it, it just didn't. And so we just scooted on past there and went right into her book. Well, we we revisited the principles when we finished parents and children. And I read through them and I went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And that makes sense. And yep, that I understand. And that's and I, I got it. it. It all made sense because we had gone through everything she had talked about. And I was like, well, yeah, everything she says is laced with with her principles. And she's always talking yes. about them because they are that important. Yes, they're intertwined into everything. And so yeah. to leave leave those out is really not not doing the Charlotte Mason method. Right. Right. Would you agree? I would. At that point, it's just doing activities that someone else said are a good idea. Yes, Okay, exactly. we'll do those activities. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you don't know the why behind the narration or the nature studies. Yeah, you're missing out on so much of the richness of, of the why you're doing what you're doing. And so you end up, I think, like you said earlier, you end up just doing things and that's it. I feel like the, I, I think we've touched on a lot of this, but the kindergarten years, especially before 
before six or seven when you start the formal lessons, it seems to be a training time for the mother and a time for habit training and a time for reserving and holding in place that time for the children. And it goes against all of our, especially, you know, first mom tendencies of, you know, my kids now six months, we need to be in at the little gym, we need to be in swim mm-hmm. lessons, we need to be doing this, that and the other. And I, I think, thankfully, because I didn't, I didn't dive into this until I think our oldest was four. But because I had a second child so quickly, I couldn't do those things. I can't do a, a toddler, a, a parent-child class with a two-year-old and a six-month-old. I, they won't let you do that in the water. And I don't want to hold two <laughs> kids in the water like that. Right, right. And so I was, by default, had to not do those things. And so that, that safeguard was put in place for me yeah. by our life. I feel like that's kind of a a very, very high level view of what to do during kindergarten. But but those those main parts of of holding that space and directing their attention and building the habits of learning are what you need to do in the early years. Because it'll come back when you do start formal studies, it'll make everything so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're putting in the place for those rails for those smooth and easy days, as Charlotte says. Mm -hmm. And all the work before, now you see the fruit of it. Well, that's something that's something we've we've been talking or I guess I guess by the time we release this, we'll we'll have been talking about all of those habits for gosh, for a long time is 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 all all of all part three and four. Yeah, all of part three and four is talking about all of those habits that are that are so integral to learning and to an education and to a lifetime of learning and all of those, they, they start happening very early. And if you can, or I guess they, they, it's best if they start that early, because if you can, if you can grow those habits in your children when they're young, then they're there as they get older and they're there as they start hitting those school years and start needing to really utilize them, you know, the habit of attention to be able to to sit down like like you you were saying earlier. Your daughter read a thing, and then you wanted you wanted her to narrate it back. Well, if she hasn't if she hasn't exercised the habit of attention, then she can't narrate. She can't narrate it back, and she'll be working on the habit of attention as opposed to learning what the thing she's reading says. True. So the habit of attention comes before. In the preschool yeah. and in the kindergarten years, you are cultivating yeah. that all those years. And there's one uh, example that she talks about how the little girl uh, picks up a daisy and she's about to yeah. throw it away. And the mom says, no, 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 let me tell you a little story about the daisy. And so by doing that, she extends the little girl's attention, maybe only for 10 or 20 more seconds. But that's how you go about it every day, little by little, extending that habit of attention focus of attention so that when you get to the school school years, now you can have attention for five or 10 or 15 minutes like you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you've practiced it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, like we learned from Michael Jordan, perfect practice makes for perfect play. 
<laughs> I like to say pro. <laughs> I like to say all oh, comes back to basketball. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I like to say progress, not perfection. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I moms, guess that's also moms true. Moms put too much perfection on ourselves, and so <laughs> if we if we can, you know always be moving forward, like you said, in those baby steps, uh-huh. progressing forward, then we're not worrying about the burden of perfection. So progress, not perfection. Yeah. Well, and Michael Jordan's probably a pretty bad role <laughs> model for that anyway. Outside of basketball, there's not much going on there. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> true. That's funny. So we're ready to dive in. For the kindergarten as a place of education. Yes. How, how, how have you been enjoying the, uh, the annotated edition? I have been, I have mine, you know, right yep. here. <laughs> it sits, it sits next to her while we record. Yay. And so there, if there's a few things that I haven't looked up, I like flip to it and I definitely was trying to look some things up and was like, okay, I can't find it online. Let me go look in the edition. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it has been a good, a good handbook. Good. I'm glad. It so, has been. So yeah, the the first thing I have underlined is that the the success of such a school, a kindergarten school, demands rare qualities in the teacher: high culture, some knowledge of psychology and the art of education, intense sympathy with the children, much tact, much common sense, much common information, much joyousness of nature, and much governing power. In a word, the kindergarten method is nicely contrived to bring the child in rapport with a superior intelligence. But put a commonplace woman in charge of such a school <laughs> and, turn, exactly. and it just falls apart, right? <laughs> they become instruments of wooden teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that she used the word contrived, you know, a deliberately created uh, environment rather than a natural environment. Yeah. Because she talks so much about how, you know, education is an atmosphere and, and everything in the home contributes and it should all be natural and not artificially contrived. Yeah. Well, she goes, uh, she goes on. She says, if the very essence of the kindergarten method is personal influence, a son of spiritual mesmerism, it follows that the mother is naturally the best kindergartnerin. Kindergartnerin, however you would pronounce that in German. (laughs) For who so likely as she to have the needful tact, sympathy, common sense, and culture? So, you know, she gave a giant, a giant list of qualities that, that a kindergarten teacher would need. And and she goes, well, hey, you've got one. And the mother. Right there. Mom's already all of those things. Mom is always the best. Yeah, because she's been practicing them. Ever since baby was born. And she knows her children the best. She knows her children better than any teacher could ever hope to know her child. And so that's where all Charlotte's confidence is, is in the mother. Mm -hmm. And should, should, that's where all of our confidence should be also in ourselves. And so often we don't have confidence in ourselves, but Charlotte says, you are the best choice. Absolutely. And she says, well, not every teacher or not every mother needs to follow, you know, the regularly organized kindergarten. In fact, it's the machinery of the kindergarten is no more than a device for carrying out the, the certain educational principles. But the mother does all the kindergarten things already as a matter of of life. She does it by the way. It's just a part of everyday life. And so it much is. 
so much of preschool, kindergarten, and Form 1B is by the way. Um, it's not actual formal lessons, but just lessons that are learned in the activity of everyday life and play as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and we talked about that when we were talking about earlier in the book, when we were talking about outdoor play and, and outdoor walks and the way the way that mom is to start having the kids look at the natural world around them and have some of those conversations about objects and items is it it really is just by the way you, you go for a walk and you do those things and you you find a place to eat your lunch and you you do those things it it's not that you're sitting down and doing formal lessons or opening up workbooks and any of that it's it's all stuff that just happens and everything that's in the immediate environment of the child too it's all right yeah. there nature provides everything yeah well, I'm going to pause here real quick and talk a little bit about Froebel, um, yeah. because she does compare a lot of what she's doing with Froebel and kind of goes back and forth with him in these chapters. And he was a German educationalist and also a student of Pestalozzi. Yes. The one that she went to school or one of his schools. That's right. She did. Mm-hmm. So Pestalozzi was from 1746 to 1827. And oh, did I delete Froebel's years? Froebel's 1782 to 1852. Right there in the book. See, <laughs> look at that. It's an annotation. <laughs> and so he, his mother died when he was nine months old. And so his father kind of just left him to his own devices. And eventually he went to live with an uncle. But he spent his times alone in the garden surrounding the home. He would play all day, led to a deep love of nature, had a strong Christian faith. His dad was a pastor. And as he grew up, he saw that the purpose of education is to encourage and guide man as a conscious thinking and perceiving being in such a way that he become a pure and perfect representation of that inner divine law through his personal choice. And education shows him the ways and means of attaining that goal. So Interesting. that was his, his thought. He opened his first kindergarten in 1837 with an emphasis on play and gifts or play materials and occupations or activities. And although he is German, it did not take off in Germany because his nephew published something that was like an anti-socialism thing. Oh. And so when he was trying to get his kindergartens going. They're like, no, we banned this. And he's like, uh, this is not, no. Okay. But it was related to his name, his name and kind of the content. And so Germany's like, nope, shut down or Prussia at the time, shut it down. Wow. And, and it went to America. Well, she says that, uh, I guess we don't get there for a while, but she does talk about kindergarten in the, in, in America. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I I it's thought was interesting. End, yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, she she throws in a nugget about America's those crazy people over there, <laughs> which is always fun to hear about. <laughs> but she she talks about Froebel a lot, and um, she says we reverence Froebel. He raised an altar to the enthusiasm of childhood, upon which the flame has never since gone out. Mm-hmm. I love that. One of the resources I found said that kids under the age of seven were thought to not be able that they didn't have the ability to focus and develop those cognitive and emotion skills before that age and he's like no no learning begins when consciousness erupts and so education begins too 
So again, the, the whole yeah. concept Very of similar. children are born persons. Yeah. And yes. It, it's interesting to see how many similarities the, the these two educationalists have. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and we'll get to there. We'll, we'll get we'll, there later. Yeah, we'll get to more about that. And that specific thing also is the fact that they, that Charlotte Mason shares a lot with Froebel, not that she takes from, mm-hmm. but she shares it, but we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's something that I found interesting was, was the way that she thought about her method as compared to his method as compared to Plato. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, teaser for the future. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see so we talked a little bit about Froebel uh, next we get into the field of knowledge being too circumscribed too restricted yeah and I think a lot of this comes to learning facts learning you know what mm-hmm. a rhomboid and a pentagon and a primary <laughs> and secondary color but as opposed to what she is advocating is for the real knowledge she said, while the exact, nicely graduated training of the kindergarten may be of value, the mother will endeavor to give it by the way and will by no means let it stand for that wider training of the senses, to secure which for her children is a primary duty. And I wonder here, I know a lot of times in volume six and some other volumes, she talks about the Montessori method, and she may be referring to Montessori here when she talks about the, the rhomboid and the pentagon <laughs> that exact knowledge. Yeah. And so that's also that um, that's also that contrived atmosphere again mm-hmm. that she's working against. She was definitely against the the Montessori atmosphere of bringing everything down to the child's level. Mm-hmm. And so she may be referencing that here. She references Montessori a lot without actually saying her name. <laughs> I, I think that's she interesting. Does. <laughs> she does. It makes me wonder. It makes me truly wonder if you got the two of them in a room, what the conversation would be like surrounding oh. child education. I'm sure they it would seemed... be very civil to each other. They, they, they would be extremely civil, but we have seen Charlotte Mason throw some very civil punches. <laughs> yes. There's, she means business. The, the one line I, I remember about her talking about Montessori is, you know, it stultifies a child to bring the world down to their level. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say, I think I think one place that that Mason and Montessori would both agree is that children are capable of learning and they need to learn. So at least they've got that in common. And they were also both very big advocates of the lower classes being able to have an yeah, education. Very much and so. Yes, very they both advocated for children of the lower classes, which I find so wonderful, especially at that time. Education was only for the wealthy or the middle class, if you were lucky. And so the lower class children, um, you know, were, were working or, or didn't have access to education. And so the fact that she advocated for that. Mm-hmm. It was, it was definitely huge. And, and those, her and her and uh, Montessori and, and others at that time, they've, they, in my opinion, they've really helped shape the the educational principles that we have to this day, even looking at, the public schools and the private school systems, because we do now care so much about the education of our children. We might not all agree about how to do it best. And a lot of us think that some ways are not as great as others, but as a, as an overall culture, we seem to really care about the education of our children. And that everyone has a right to education. 
Yeah, a, definitely. A, a liberal education for all. Which is very much a good thing. Um, she goes on to expound even more about why the mother and the home is the best place for training and even the kindergarten occupations. The thoughtful mother invents a thousand ways of training her child a just eye and a faithful hand, such as hanging the towels, packing a parcel, straightening the tablecloth. So the, the games and the methodical training in the official kindergarten, the mother doesn't need to depend on those, but she makes all the child's occupations subserve the purposes of his education. Again, education is a, a life. Right. Well, and Rachel, that was even something that you were saying earlier with our children is that when they're young, we, we get to start teaching them these things so that as they get older and they get to the age your children are at, they're a part of the doings of the home and they're a part of they're a part of making the home run and operate. Right. They're mm -hmm. a wonderful help and independent young adults and contributing members of the family and of society as well. And that's a that's a part of the the training and why they don't need to be in the kindergarten or you don't need to bring kindergarten into the nursery is because, again, you, you're already doing those things. Mm -hmm. She also talks about how the artificial environment of a kindergarten or of a school room hinders a child's education. You take she him does. out of his natural environment and out of nature and then you prescribe to him certain subjects, and yet he could be getting all that he needed out in the field and in the home rather than sitting in a classroom. Well, and even going back to Froebel real quick, one of his things was he wanted to teach the young children through educational games in the family. And it was in later years of his life that this became linked with the demand for the provision of special centers for the care and development of children outside the home. And so even even when he was teaching, it was, you know, this is best done at home. This is how we can guide a little bit and, and be intentional with what we're doing. And it grew into the need for places outside the home. And then as, as we go on, there's an example about how to treat children in the kindergarten where you, again, treat them as persons and you don't treat their little, the mistakes yeah. too seriously. And just like, you know, if he doesn't want to participate, he doesn't participate. And so then right. next time he'll want to. Do not assume that he is being naughty. I love that. She mm -hmm. always looks at the bright side and she always sees the best <laughs> in children. And some, you know, sometimes that's hard um, for, for us parents to do, but it's a good reminder. It is. Well, and I like what she follows up with, too. She, you know, she says, don't assume that he's being naughty. Leave him out. And then don't let him disturb the moral atmosphere. And then in all gentleness and serenity, remove him from the company of the others when he is being what nurses call tiresome. Mm -hmm. So in your removing him from the situation, you're not letting him disturb that moral atmosphere that the, the other children that are playing happily, you're, you're pulling him aside because he is a person, because he's going through something, because something, something's the matter. It doesn't need to be dealt with in a, in a big flashy manner in front of all of the other children. Right. Mm -hmm. She's respecting his personhood. Yeah. And and not only his personhood, but the personhood of all of the other children in the nursery. True. Or the, not nursery, but the kindergarten who are who are also there, who are also a part of the group. They they don't need to be a part of that conversation that happens. So True. I, I thought I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. 
On the whole, we may say that some of the principles which govern kindergarten training are precisely those in which every thoughtful mother endeavors to bring up her family, while the practices of the kindergarten, being only ways amongst others of carrying out those principles, are apt to become stereotyped and wooden, are unnecessary, but may be adopted so far as they fit conveniently with the mother's general scheme for the education of her family. And this again, principles, yes, they're amazing. Practices, if they're convenient for you, you yes, can do exactly. these, these things. You can do the leapfrog if, if it's convenient for your family. <laughs> <laughs> and you've highlighted practically every, you've read every quote that I've highlighted in my book. Too, so. <laughs> yeah, that's what we find. I My highlighted portion started at that exact word. Yep. I yes. actually yes. didn't highlight it. I just kind of put a line on the side. <laughs> it's this whole thing. <laughs> that's funny. So... Yeah, that we, is chapter two. It is. Yeah, Rachel, we find that uh, Crystal and I tend to do that. We tend to highlight each other's things and <laughs> and just kind of go back and forth as, as we go through the chapter because we tend to have the same things highlighted. Or, or what will happen is I'll <laughs> highlight the second half of a quote and Crystal will highlight the first half of a quote. And then we'll get to argue over which half is the more uh, more, important. more impactful. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, any last last thoughts as we wrap this up? Just that education is so much more simple and easy than many people think it to be. And I and I love that she that Charlotte in no uncertain terms shows us how confident she is in us as mothers and parents in educating our own children. Well, Rachel, I want to say thank you so much for, for hanging out with us and being a part of our show. It was wonderful to have you. Uh, I'm so glad that we could do this. I'm so glad that we could figure out the logistics of it all. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. And go see her at a Charlotte Mason plenary. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't checked her out there yet, definitely do. And yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. It's so nice to finally meet you guys. I feel like yeah. I know y'all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and that's that's one of the fun things that we've had with with several of our guests so far is that the people who listen to us do know us and there, there is a relationship. And so it's fun to, it's fun to experience that uh, this way. Yeah. And, and I've been chatting back and forth with Crystal for months and months now. So <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, if y'all were still in Texas, I'd come up here. I'd come up and see y'all. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. We probably drive. would do that. Yeah. That would have been fun. Where, where at in Texas are you? I'm in Corpus Christi. Oh, okay. So y'all were where in far. Austin. Where were y'all? We were in South Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So, so about three hours from me or whatever, you know, it's yeah, not that, that, that's not not that bad. far we, of a drive. We spent a weekend down there. We, we rented a timeshare or something or a bed and uh, what is it? A home away. Uh, when we went down to Corpus Christi, Christie for the weekend. It was good. Well, that's cool. That's cool. How long, how long y'all been in Texas? Oh gosh, forever. I was <laughs> oh, okay. born, born and raised. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, both my husband my, and I. 
my my grandmother was a, a Texan through and through as well. Yeah. Um, her my grandpa my grandfather was a pastor, so they did move around, but she was from Fort Worth, and her family's mostly still in Fort Worth if if, if they're still alive. And <laughs> she's she's a Texan. Yeah, we love. Yeah, Texas. she was. <laughs> well, when, as we were living there, the one thing I kept saying is, if Texas would move north by like I don't know a state or three, then yeah. I would I would have loved it, and we probably would have stayed there forever. I know I was, love the culture and the politics and all of that, but the weather, <laughs> the weather is ugh. terrible. I know, <laughs> I know. We we melt here. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. We we, was... we dream of retiring in Vermont or somewhere, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah i don't know i can i can give uh i can give high marks for boise boise is pretty nice at least so far i mean we've been here for seven months eight months something like that nine months so not quite a whole year yet huh not quite a whole year i think spring and early summer are the only things we haven't experienced yet but so far it's been pretty nice well you're about to but yeah <laughs> yeah are y'all y'all are in quarantine up there or what? Yep. We are. We are. Yeah. We've, we're shelter in place. I think is the official term. Yeah, yes. that is the yes. official term. And honestly, even before the shelter in place order, which that came out, I think end of last week, we had been sick at our house for oh I don't know a, a week or so with some probably two or three weeks in February. Yeah, two or three weeks in February with like some flu like symptoms and. Just stuff that we didn't want to spread along. Yeah, kind of. That's (laughs) well, that's a thought we may have, but also we were we were already kind of living at home anyway, just because we didn't want to spread whatever we had. Yeah, and then and then this came, and we're like, well, we'll just stay home. Yeah, Yeah, it's not much different, right? As homeschoolers, I mean, the only thing is like you know the co ops and stuff you can't go do, and you can't just run out anywhere, but. But we're used to staying at home, so it's not that mm-hmm. big of a difference yeah. in in lifestyle. Yeah, the only thing that's been sad is that that our our oldest son has uh, he he and the neighbor boy they play on a on a pretty regular basis, and so they've been sad that they've not been able to to get together and play together, go over to yeah. to each other's houses, and so that's been sad for them. And you know, we yeah. can't go to the. We have playground. a playground. Yeah, we have playgrounds and we have there's a children's museum that Crystal takes the kids to on a, on a pretty regular basis and they've not yeah. been able to go there. So it's different, it, but it has affected us, but not nearly as much as some other people. Yeah, not nearly yeah. as much as <laughs> now others. how old are your kiddos? So our oldest is seven, but he'll be eight here in the next month, right? In May. End of May. Well, so tomorrow's two April. Two months. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is still two months. So he'll be eight. And then uh, our next is, so what, eight, six, and then four mm-hmm. and two-year-old twins. Oh, wow. <laughs> Y'all got your hands full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. probably be getting out of the house more with that uh, group than <laughs> than, than <laughs> yeah. my, my it, kiddos. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a group. Uh, what about yours? How, what are, what are you? Uh, 16 and 11. Okay. So, so we're way past that. Um, they're uh-huh. very, they're very independent, very, you know, they don't need me much, which is, which is nice. You know, you go through a, a it's like a progression and 
here they are, you know, my son, especially, gosh, you know, he's a year and a half away from being 18. And (laughs) he's just such a, a great young man and so independent and, you know, so helpful. And it's really, it's really nice to see how they grow. Hmm. That's really cool. That's That's good to look forward to. uh, Right. That's definitely (laughs) something we're looking forward to. (laughs) Yes, that can help you around the house and do things. Yes. (laughs) Wow, that sounds nice. (laughs) I've got them to where I can say, empty the dishwasher, and they'll do it. So That is true. We're we're starting. And fold the laundry is almost there. (laughs) So we're we're getting there. Yeah, you just got to work on those simple things and keep building. 